Hello and welcome to the, the History of Adrianople special. As I've warned in previous episodes, this is going to be nothing like anything I've ever released before. So if you don't like it, feel no pressure at all to listen to the whole thing. If you can make it the whole way through, I'll be very impressed. Though, because I'm not sure that you will, let's uh, do the plugs at the beginning. Because that way I know you'll hear them. I'm only going to make a few. Specifically, the London meetup. Remember, 4pm on the 8th of June 2013 at the George Inn in London. There is a post on the website giving you all the details. Um, I'll put up pictures there too so you know what I look like. Otherwise should be reasonably easy to spot. Anyway, just look out for the conversation. We're talking about Roman history or something like that. The best ways to uh, follow what's going on are social media. So Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast. Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the history of pod. And Instagram, which is at Jamie Redfern or instagram.com slash Jamie Redfern. And one last thing. Today, the day of releasing, the 19th of May, is friend of the show and occasional co-host, Hanny Kirkham's birthday. So, happy birthday, Hanny. Today's episode will be about what is the significance of the Battle of Adrianople. I'm going to have to assume that you understand at least the basics, and this may be quite confusing if you're not already familiar with what's going on. But if you're not, likewise, feel no pressure at all to listen to this. This is an experiment as much as anything, and I just want to see what you think about it. So send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast.gmail.com, and let me know what you think. Okay, so let's get into it. In his historical work on the Roman Empire, Ammianus Marcellinus concluded with the Battle of Adrianople and the death of the Emperor Valens in AD 378. He left the rest of Roman history, quote, to be written by better men whose abilities are in their prime, end quote. This creates the impression that the date of 378 is significant, a theme prevalent throughout modern historiography. I shall argue that modern historiography is correct to do this. My argument is that Adrianople was a significant event in late antiquity, for taking the empire in a different direction than it may otherwise have gone. This will be done by looking at the significant effect that the battle, and its consequences, had on religion, society, politics, and the general future. However, militarily, its importance was noteworthy, but not particularly strong. I shall argue that the traditional emphasis on Adrianople, that the cavalry-based Gothic army defeated the infantry-based Roman army, marked the end of classical warfare, ushering in the Middle Ages, is a fundamentally incorrect hypothesis. In addition to this, I shall also examine how the battle was significant, whether it was significant as a cause of events, 
or whether it was as an effect of events. These will all culminate in the argument that Adrianople is most significant as an important development, but not necessarily a turning point. For this podcast, I shall use a variety of sources, reflecting some of the key debates in historiography. I shall be utilising Ammianus Marcellinus and Zosimus as primary sources for the period. Ammianus is a crucial source to the period. Edward Gibbon went as far as to call him, quote, an accurate and faithful guide who has composed the history of his own times without indulging the prejudices and passions which usually affect the mind of a contemporary, end quote. While I suspect that Ammianus's paganism was endearing to Gibbon, Andrew Wallace Hardrill makes Ammianus's impartiality well known through numerous quotes. These include describing Christianity as a faith, quote, which preaches only justice and mercy, end quote. His being contemporaneous with events is a useful bonus. He was indeed a witness for the siege of Amida. Zosimus does not have such a glowing reputation. Photius, patriarch of Constantinople, an outstanding intellectual of his time, writes, quote, It may be said that Zosimus did not himself write the history, but that he copied that of Eunampius. End quote. He is, however, the only surviving narrative for the period, hence his importance. Gibbon's monumental decline and fall of the Roman Empire is indispensable to the historian of this period. Roger Collins' use of him in the introduction to his work on early medieval Europe is evidence of his repute among historians. Other works I intend to make use of are by Stephen Williams for his coverage of Theodosius, for which it was difficult to find equals for. Peter Heather and Herwig Wolfram will both be used for their coverage of the Goths, while Alessandro Barbaro covers key events of the Battle of Adrianople well. Arthur Ferrell shall be used for his study of the later Roman military, and as a counterweight to most modern historiography, due to his differing ideas. Roger Collins and Lars Brownworth shall be utilised for their studies of medieval Europe, and excellently place Adrianople into this context. It will be useful to briefly go over some of these historians' opinions on the matter of Adrianople's significance before beginning my argument. Authors, such as Barbaro, argue that the battle is significant in terms of accelerating the empire's barbarisation and decline, as well as in terms of widening the gap between the eastern and western Roman empires. Brownworth agrees with this assessment, calling the battle, quote, the worst military disaster in four centuries, and it opened the floodgates of invasion to every barbarian tribe on the frontier. The eastern government was brought to its knees, its armies shattered, and its emperor dead. End quote. The phrasing is slightly poetic, but it conveys the point that the battle was significant well. 
Wolfram takes a differing line, saying, quote, It's Adrian Noble's impact on the history of the late Empire can also be easily exaggerated. End quote. Wolfram argues that Adrianople was seen as more important by later Roman historians, and that writers at the time did not see Adrianople as greatly important. For instance, he cites Ammianus's comparing of Adrianople to Canai, the implication being that just as Zama followed Canai, a great victory would follow Adrianople. I disagree with the assessment that because its importance was not recognised at the time, it was not significant. But his point is understandable. Collins takes a similar view to Wolfram, saying that the effect of the defeat was short-lived. Williams takes the middle ground, saying that it is important, but not necessarily the beginning of the end. Among scholarship, it can be seen that there is a general agreement that Adrianople was an important battle. Although it may not have had the huge significance attached to it by some authors. I agree with this assessment. And by looking at the battle's effect on religion, society, the military, politics and the future, shall argue that this is the case. We'll begin by looking at Adrianople's influence on Roman religion. Adrianople was a significant event in Roman history, due to the different direction it took it. Since 364, Valentinian and his dynasty had dominated the Roman Empire, but Valens's death severely weakened the dynasty, leaving Gratian, who was barely an adult, as the leading figure in the regime. Gratian needed to bring an experienced figure to support the dynasty, and Theodosius was elevated to the rank of Augustus. By forcing Gratian to bring such a powerful personality and general as Theodosius into the imperial household, the effect was bound to be significant. The changes that Theodosius brought to the empire are surely considered to be the effects of Adrianople. These would have drastic effects for the empire. The most obvious of these changes would be that by 395, the Valentinians had been effectively removed from imperial power, with the two emperors being Theodosius's sons, Arcadius and Honorius. While this direction of the Valentinian-Theodosian dynasty was certainly instigated by Adrianople, there were many other factors at work, and Adrianople cannot claim as much significance as for the direction Theodosius's policies took the empire in. One of the more significant aspects of Theodosius's imperial policy was his attitude towards Christianity, specifically its relation to other faiths and to the various strands of Christianity which were causing much conflict within the church and the empire. While both Christians, Valens was, in contrast to his brother Valentinian, a follower of the Arian heresy. Arianism, a belief that Christ was inferior to God the Father, 
had been dividing the empire since the age of Constantine. Theodosius supported the Nicene Creed version of Christianity, Catholicism over Arianism, going as far as to publish an edict banning Arianism in 381. This reunited the churches of the West, which was more pro-Nicene than the Eastern Empire, and the East. Williams goes as far as to call Theodosius, quote, the historic founder of the established Catholic Church, end quote. Collins likewise supports this idea, and interestingly places this in the context of the growth in Latin church writers, with examples in the East, such as Jerome. When placed in comparison with Valens's promotion of Arianism, it is clear that the creed of Christianity, which would prove successful, changed considerably due to Theodosius being emperor rather than the deceased Valens, adding to Adrianople's significance. Likewise, Christianity became more prominent under Theodosius than it had been under Valentinian and Valens. Christianity had steadily been rising in importance over the previous century, despite a slight relapse during the reign of Julian. In what Brownworth terms, quote, the pagan counterstroke, end quote, Julian attempted to revitalise paganism. The altar of victory was one example of this. After Actium, Augustus had placed the altar of victory in the Senate's house. Julian restored it to this location after it had been removed earlier in the century. Valentinian had allowed a concession to the pagans by not removing this altar from the Senate house. Theodosius had initially been fairly tolerant of paganism, and is praised by Libanius, though by the end of his reign, he had become a much firmer figure on such matters. By 391, much harsher laws were created in addition to the existing bans on pagan sacrifices. By pursuing a much fiercer line on paganism than Valentinian, it is arguable that this was another significant aspect of imperial administration the change due to Adrianople. While a possibility, I think that Adrianople is not particularly significant in this respect, as shall now be explained. Theodosius was not the only force in the late empire promoting Christianity or the Nicene Creed. Figures such as Ambrose of Milan also deserve much attention in this regard. Ambrose dominated Valentinian II's court at Milan, and it was almost entirely because of his influence that the altar of victory was removed from the Senate house by Gratian. After Theodosius had punished the citizens of Salonica for a riot by slaughtering 7,000 people, Ambrose was in such a powerful position that he was able to force Theodosius to perform public penance for the act. William suspects that perhaps Ambrose is the reason for Theodosius's increasingly stern position on the pagan issue. Not the movements by the church happening at the same time as Theodosius's conquest of the East, with citation of Ambrose made. 
The use of Ambrose as a source is necessary, as we are discussing Ambrose, but surely Ambrose is likely to overemphasise his own importance, as we should be wary of this. If we momentarily discount the authorship of this information, and the effect that it is likely to have on the material, then these events do create an image that Ambrose was the driving force against paganism rather than Theodosius. If Theodosius was not the catalyst for such a change, then Adrianople was not as important a battle as it would otherwise have been. In addition to this, it must be remembered that Christianity was not only divided into Arianism and Catholicism. You have only to look at Pelagius in Britain for an example of Christianity flourishing independently of Theodosius and Ambrose. Theodosius, and further Adrianople, had little effect on these events, which, it can be supposed, would have happened regardless of events in Thrace against the Goths. These are significant points, and there are large aspects of religion within the Empire that Adrianople had little effect on. But there were large aspects where, through Theodosius, it did. For this reason, Adrianople must be considered a significant battle. Adrianople's influence on Roman society While the Gothic presence within the Empire would have had little effect on Christianity in Britain, it certainly had a huge impact on the rest of the Empire as a whole. Ammianus makes clear the huge levels of destruction on the Thracian countryside immediately following the battle, saying the Goths, quote, utterly devastated the wide area of fertile country around Constantinople, and either killed the farmers or took them prisoner, end quote. While the immediate aftermath of Gothic presence was important, the long-term effects were perhaps more so. Wolfram examines the differences between the 376 treaty between the Romans and the Goths and the 382 treaty, which was created after Theodosius brought the conflict to a close. These differences are striking. He observes through the use of Synesius and Jordanes that the change in circumstances had led Rome to make large concessions in the 382 agreement such as the Goths settling along the Danube, settling them as a compact group, that they would effectively be an autonomous Gothic state within the Empire, as well as yearly payments and tax exemptions. Such a change in policy by the Romans makes clear the drastic effects that Adrianople had forced upon the Romans by placing them in a much more vulnerable position militarily. Once the Goths were within the Empire, they continued to have an increasingly preeminent role within it. Gothic allies made up a significant part of Theodosius' army in his civil wars against Arbogast and Eugenius, and took the heaviest losses at the Battle of the River Frigidius. Perhaps the ultimate development of this policy takes place in the 5th century. Williams notes that the Gothic general 
Alaric was probably incensed by the reckless use of Goths by the Romans at the Frigidus, and Alaric would have had a highly influential position in Roman history, most famously for leading the Gothic sack of Rome in 410. The Gothic sack of Rome had a huge influence on Western civilization, prompting Augustine to write The City of God, and creating such panic that St. Jerome, rising from Bethlehem, wrote, quote, A dreadful rumour has come from the West. Rome has been besieged. My voice sticks in my throat, and, as I dictate, sobs choke my utterance. End quote. Eventually, the Goths would have their own settlement in Aquitaine, which would eventually transform itself into an independent kingdom centred on Toulouse. While subsequent events, which trace their origins to Gothic presence within the Roman Empire, do also exist, and were also important to Roman history, Gothic settlements of Aquitaine took place 40 years after Adrianople and it is necessary to avoid making too tenuous a connection. As has just been seen, Gothic presence as an autonomous power inside the Empire was due to Adrianople, as can be seen by the differences between the 376 and 382 treaties. As many imperial policies in the years after Adrianople involved, and had to take into account the Goths, which is demonstrated by historical events, I argue that Adrianople's significance as a battle must be highly important for creating the circumstances which led history in this direction. While these points show the importance of Goths within the Empire, it must be remembered that these specific actions were not innovations. They have precedents stretching far into Rome's past. Non-Roman, and even non-Italian, allies of Rome had always been involved in Roman warfare since time immemorial. In the Second Punic War, Massinissa and the Numidian cavalry were a crucial part of Scipio's army in the Battle of Zama against Hannibal, having commanded the Roman left against the Carthaginian force. This happened continually throughout Rome's history. Wolfram and Williams both note Gothic allies fighting for Rome under the Emperor Gordian III in 242, along with other Germanic forces against the Persians. There are also precedents for the settlement of Germanic peoples within the Empire as federates. One such example would be the conclusion of Julian's Gallic campaigns, 356-359. Having defeated an Alemannic force at the Battle of Strasbourg, Julian was able to campaign on the far side of the Rhine, and make peace with Frankish forces. Part of this agreement was that the Romans allowed Frankish occupation of the lands north of the Meuse. Collins ponders, quote, This, it might be said, was the birth of France. End quote. If the view is taken that Theodotus's settlement of the Goths is merely a development of this policy, successfully undertaken by Julian, then the significance of Adrianople is marginalised. While Adrianople and the subsequent Gothic settlement were on a larger scale than Strasbourg and Frankish settlement, it is not wholly responsible for taking the empire in this path, 
and the earlier precedents must be given credit. This hypothesis fits well into what has been described by some as Rome's barbarisation. A trend which Brownworth observes was merely a development of a policy which had been at work for hundreds of years. Brownworth emphasises this point by looking at Theodosius's ancestry. While clearly considered to be a Roman, Theodosius came from a Spanish family, once considered to be barbarians. The role that foreign troops and Romanization of non-Roman societies has played throughout the classical era was profound, and Adrianople cannot be seen as the beginning of such trends. Adrianople must be viewed as creating an acceleration of such policies, not for being their catalyst. However, while these arguments of precedent are interesting, there is a fundamental difference between Stroudsburg and Adrianople, and their respective settlements. Stroudsburg was a Roman victory, and saw settlement of the territory on Roman conditions, while Adrianople saw a Roman defeat. The concessions the Romans were forced to make in 382 have already been examined. This is why the Gothic settlement was not completely a precedent, as previous settlements had been foreshadowed by Roman victory, not defeat, and the better terms that the Goths received allowed them to have such a prominent role in politics within the late empire. It is for these reasons, and for the fact that Adrianople was on a much larger scale than previous precedents, that Adrianople should be considered significant in terms of its effect on Roman society, particularly through Gothic presence in the empire. Adrianople's impact on the Roman military to truly understand the significance of Adrianople, the battle's impact on the legions must be taken into account. The most obvious opinion on the matter is that Adrianople did have a large impact because it destroyed the Eastern Field Army. The armies of the late empire can be divided into two broad categories. The frontier troops, Limitaniae, who defended specific pieces of the border, and the field army, a mobile corps, often commanded by the emperor, who would move around the empire assisting the Limitania when needed. After sending various generals, such as Saturnius, to face the Goths without result, it was agreed that the best way to combat the threat would be for Valens to travel west with the eastern field army, and for Gratian to move east with the western field army. This was seen as the best way of dealing with the threat, and indeed, the only way. Barbaro notes that Valens could not take any more troops to face the Goths than he did, as the remainder were tied down defending the borders. When the Goths defeated Valens, the field army was destroyed, and with it, the East's ability to effectively defend itself was also destroyed. The sense of this inability to defend itself is poignantly reflected by the four years it took the Romans to bring the Goths to a peace. And not a peace which suited Rome, at that. While this is an easy conclusion to come to, it does not make that conclusion correct. 
if the Eastern army was in such a poor condition after Adrianople, why was Theodosius able to lead it to success in the civil wars against Magnus Maximus and Eugenius over the next decade? To fully understand the situation after Adrianople, the battle must be placed in context. Specifically, Rome's ability to raise legions had been declining throughout the 4th century, as Rome suffered severe loss of life in several campaigns, such as those in Gaul throughout the 350s, and Julian's disastrous campaigns against Persia in the 360s. While foreign campaigns had damaged the Roman legions, perhaps the single greatest reason for loss of life is guessed correctly by Collins. Civil War. Collins observes that civil war plagued the empire since the rise of Constantine, whether it be Constantine's wars against his fellow Tetrarchs, the wars between Constantine's sons, or wars against usurpers, such as Magnentius or Procopius. When we examine the condition of the army immediately after 378, it does not decline immediately, or appear to be in gradual decline. While defeats were suffered in the 4th century, such as those mentioned, there are successes too, such as Julian's victory at Stroutsburg. Julian's campaign in Persia may have been a disaster, but the reasons for it have more to do with Julian's abilities as a general than the skill of the troops. Collins comments, quote, His, Julian's, strategic judgment was faulty in both conception and the execution of this campaign. End quote. It isn't until post 395 and the regency of Stilicho that we see true deterioration of the army. While Rome might not have been able to achieve an ideal treaty with the Goths in 382, the agreement was not disastrous for Rome. It is not until the invasions of 406 that we suddenly see a weakness in the legions. Particularly after the murder of Stilicho, Rome seems unable to maintain her borders, with Britain being abandoned and Rome sacked in the years immediately following. While the loss of the Eastern Field Army was a huge loss for Rome, its importance should not be overstated. The armies of the East had significantly recovered to be able to defeat the Western usurpers within a decade of Adrianople. Indeed, it was the Western Empire that fell, not the Eastern. While the fighting ability of the legions remained high after Adrianople, this was not the only factor required to produce success. An interesting point offered by Ferrell is that we should bear in mind morale as highly important in affecting the quality of the fighting troops. If we remember Julian's crushing defeat at the hands of Shah Paul II, this occurred only 15 years before Adrianople. Two shocking defeats in such a short period of time are likely to affect the mentality of the soldiers and of their generals, and are likely to have a huge influence on the Empire's grand strategy, at least for the years immediately following the disaster. Rome was highly cautious in the years after Adrianople, and did not become embroiled in a foreign war. For instance, Theodosius strove for a peaceful relationship 
with the Persians over the issue of Armenia. This is a trend which can be seen throughout Rome's history. For instance, if we compare the situation to the Second Punic War, Rome was severely demoralised after the Trebia, Lake Trasimene and Cannae. It took Rome years to recover from such a disaster. This can be seen through Fabius's defensive tactics, which followed the defeats. During the later years of Augustus's rule, Rome also suffered a series of great losses, such as the Pannonian Revolt and the Battle of the Teutoburg Forest. With these other instances in mind, it is not surprising that only five years later, Augustus instructed Tiberius to keep the empire within its current borders, advice which Tiberius adhered to. The evidence suggests that Rome's foreign policy following Adrianople was hugely influenced by the battle, making Adrianople significant. One aspect of the military which was not drastically altered by Adrianople is style of warfare. Wolfram phrases it neatly, quote, At this time, the thousand-year reign of the night is said to have begun. Such chalastic notions, however, have little historical meaning. End quote. Barbaro agrees with this assessment, observing the similarity of both forces' military equipment at Adrianople, and that both armies were predominantly infantry-based. These points suggest that while Adrianople was important in terms of affecting Rome's foreign policy, it was not greatly significant overall in terms of affecting the army and the military of the Roman Empire. The battle was also highly significant for demonstrating the tension within the ruling dynasty, perhaps exacerbating the situation. Since there had been no major usurpation after Procopius, who utilised Gothic support in 365-66, the Valentinian dynasty had become a stable unit, although admittedly with tension within it. The imperial dynamic was drastically altered by Gratian's promotion of Theodosius, while Theodosius was the senior figure within the household as Gratian and Valentinian II with both very young. Valentinian II was still a child. Theodosius did not have any legitimacy through birth. Roman history repeatedly shows that when a man with no imperial pedigree ascends to the throne, civil war usually follows. A prime example is the year of the four emperors, which occurs after the death of Nero and the end of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. We should then expect a similar situation in the years following Theodosius's ascension, i.e. a number of usurpations taking place. This is exactly what happened. Theodosius fought off the usurpers Magnus Maximus and Eugenius in the decade after the Gothic War. By killing Valens and forcing Theodosius into the imperial household, and by extension the ascension of his sons Honorius and Arcadius, Adrianople is hugely significant in Roman history. Adrianople's impact on the future. At first glance, it would appear that the previous point is self-evident, but as noted continuously throughout the essay, 
it must be placed in context. It is possible to say that Adrianople created the civil wars of the late 4th century, but to do so would be to ignore the 4th century as a whole. As noted earlier in the essay, there had been significant amounts of civil war throughout the 4th century, both waged by Constantine on his rise to power and by his descendants. The increased tension within royal households was shown before the Battle of Adrianople. Before the battle began, Valens had the option of waiting for his nephew Gratian to arrive with reinforcements, yet he did not. Ammianus states, quote, They, Valens's advisers, urged immediate action to prevent Gratian sharing in a victory, which in their opinion was already as good as won. End quote. A larger Roman force could have transformed the battle into a Roman victory, and that Valens chose to have personal glory over better odds of success shows a large amount of tension within the royal household. While there is no direct evidence for the following scenario, as it did not happen, it would not be foolish to postulate that Roman victory at Adrianople would have led to civil war between Gratian and Valens. Had the pre-existing tension escalated into civil war between the two, there would be similar effects to the Roman state, loss of life, increasing distrust of co-emperors, etc., as happened after Adrianople, reducing Adrianople's potential importance. It does not necessarily invalidate the theory that Adrianople is significant, as it created a series of civil wars, but it lessens its importance and is something that would be foolish to overlook. This last point begins to get to the true significance of Adrianople. What would have happened had the result been different? This is an extremely dangerous question to ask, particularly for a student, as there is the possibility of the tantalising conundrum devolving into mere baseless speculation. However, as we cannot really understand the importance of an event without seeing the alternative, it is necessary to attempt to formulate an answer. Had the Romans won the Battle of Adrianople, we can be reasonably sure of several elements of this alternate reality. As Valens would not be killed, there would be no need for Theodosius to be appointed emperor, meaning that control of the empire would have continued to rest with Valens and Gratian. In addition to this, the Gothic threats to the empire would be vastly reduced. Beyond these certainties, events are highly unpredictable. Reasonable developments would perhaps be a more successful fusion of the Goths into the Empire, with the late Empire taking less of a Germanic character. It is tempting to say that the Western Empire would not have fallen when it did, but I would be hesitant to suggest this. Before Adrianople, Valens was based in the East, preparing for war with the Persians. Indeed, Ammiana states of the Gothic threat before Adrianople, quote, The threatened state of affairs required some agreement about Armenia, and he, Valens, at once sent the master of cavalry, Victor, to Persia to arrange this. End quote. 
surely it would not be foolish to suggest that a confident Valens would reopen this conflict with Persia. Valens losing such a conflict is reasonably likely, considering the lack of success had against the Persians in the 4th century. Julian's expedition, as stated earlier, is a good example of this. If Valens died, perhaps Theodosius would be called upon by Gratian, and we would have a similar scenario to real events, though with some fundamental differences, e.g. the conflict being against the Persians rather than the Goths. Likewise, the Germanic invasions of 406 would not have been affected by Adrianople. It is obvious that there is no clear answer to this question, but what is clear is there would be some change. It is very hard to outline what form this potential change would take, but we can be quite sure that Roman victory would have taken history in a different direction. So, Adrianople must be considered important for this reason. Cause or effect? Adrianople can be seen as an effect of decline within the empire. The civil wars and the troop shortages of the 4th century have been discussed before. Valens was very short on troops when he moved against the Goths and should have waited for reinforcements from Gratian. However, the most recent significant defeat was Julian's Persian campaign, almost two decades before. In addition, there were enough troops available to crush the Gothic threat, but Valens attacked before Gratian arrived with the extra troops. This makes it appear that the battle isn't an effect of decline, more an effect of Valens's impatience. If we examine the battle as a reason for decline, there was an issue that must be dealt with here. While Rome needed more soldiers in the field, it obviously could not afford a defeat with such a loss of life. Heather notes that losses were likely 10 to 12,000 men for the Romans. The obvious problem with this argument is that troop losses in the East doesn't explain why the West fell. At least, it doesn't seem to. I can postulate a possible argument for Adrianople being a reason for the Roman Empire's decline. As the Eastern legions took significant losses at Adrianople, this placed Western usurpers in a position to take advantage of the situation. Magnus Maximus and Eugenius both launched rebellions in the years following Adrianople, taking advantage of the new emperor Theodosius, and of the manpower loss the East was experiencing. This would explain why it took Theodosius so long to deal with the usurpations, and why, as William notes, Theodosius quasi-recognised Maximus as emperor. As has been observed previously, Theodosius and his eastern legions defeated the west, with Gothic assistance, over the next decade or so. The east eventually recovered throughout the 5th century, to thrive without Germanic assistance. During the reign of the emperor Leo I, the barbarian Aspar was removed from power, giving Leo much greater control than he had previously experienced as merely a puppet. The defeat suffered by the West 
would have placed the borders under strain, meaning that it would not have had the time to adequately recover. The Rhine froze over in 406 and, quote, Germanic barbarians came streaming across the porous frontiers, end quote. The Western legions were not strong enough to stop them, and the frontiers disintegrated. It is thus possible to see Adrianople as a cause of decline in the late Roman Empire. The truth is most likely somewhere between these two options. Rather than seeing the battle as a cause or symptom of decline, it should instead be viewed as a development in the situation. Much as how Gothic elements in the Empire at this time were a development of earlier agreements with the Franks, and not necessarily the beginning of the end. Conclusion Adrianople is a highly significant battle. The effects of the battle were highly important. The death of Valens and the rise of Theodosius took the empire in a very different direction. Theodosius sped up the Christianisation of the empire to a greater extent than Valens had done, and through the influence of figures such as Ambrose of Milan, had over him, the persecutions of paganism increased. The introduction of a new emperor to the dynasty caused much conflict within it, as has been seen throughout Roman history, and is arguably one of the reasons for the civil wars of Theodosius's reign. Just as the introduction of Theodosius to the empire had a great effect, so did the introduction of the Goths. The Goths had a drastic impact on the late empire. The Goths had an initial impact of devastating the East, particularly Thrace, before a peace was finally signed and they replenished the East, which was vital in its civil wars against the West. The Goths continued to have a huge effect on the Empire, sacking Rome in 410 and settling in Aquitaine in 418, something which would eventually become the Kingdom of Toulouse and Visigothic Iberia. There are, of course, counter-arguments to this opinion that I argued in favour of. Ambrose was still in a significant position of power and influence without the assistance of Adrianople, and Christianity was thriving without Theodosius to promote it, as was seen in Britannia. Paganism would likely have continued to decline without Theodosius. He wasn't needed to have the altar of victory removed from the Senate house, while the empire may have become more Germanic due to Gothic influence, and a Visigothic kingdom was set up in Iberia, numerous other Germanic states were set up due to the Germanic invasions of 406. The Visigothic kingdom did not last for a long period of time. It was destroyed by the Islamic invasion of the peninsula in the 8th century. History would not have been greatly altered had different barbarian tribal groups settled there instead. While there were civil wars after Theodosius's rise to become Augustus, there were also civil wars throughout the 4th century, making it clear that these wars were not an isolated incident. The battle did not mark a change in military tactics, and didn't have a particularly large effect on the empire's military strength, 
which recovered soon enough. These counter-arguments are valid points, and indicate that clearly a large portion of the ancient world was unaffected by Adrianople. However, pointing this out is not evidence that the battle was insignificant. In almost every circumstance, you will be able to observe an element of a situation that was not affected by any given event. That such elements exist does not mean that the event in question is insignificant. While large portions of antiquity were not affected by the Battle of Adrianople, enough aspects were that the battle can be called significant. As many authors argue, it is not a drastic changing point, marking the sudden end of antiquity and the dawn of the Middle Ages. Instead, it should be taken as a significant development of the decline of the Roman Empire. Not necessarily a cause or a symptom, but a development. Adrianople is a significant development in the transformation of the ancient world into that of the medieval, demonstrating and affecting the changes going on in numerous aspects of life, be they religious, political, social or military. It is for these reasons that I have argued that Adrianople should be considered significant. Throughout this episode, I've used numerous primary sources, such as Ammianus Marcellinus and Zosimus, as well as numerous church historians. There are other secondary sources that I've used, and I'd like to list them here in case you want to pursue anything I've mentioned further. As a general scheme, I'm going to list works by surname, initial, date of publication, title, and then place of publication, closest to Manchester in standard academic format. If there's anything in particular you'd like to ask me about, I'm happy to give you a specific reference. Anyway, let's get on with it. Barbaro A, 2007. The Day of the Barbarians. The epic battle that began the fall of the Roman Empire. Berker. Brownworth L, 2009. Lost to the West, the forgotten Byzantine Empire that rescued Western civilization. New York. Collins, R. 2010. Early Medieval Europe, 300 to 1000. London. Ferrell, A. 1986. The Fall of the Roman Empire, the Military Explanation. London. Gibbon, E. 1879, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Volume 3, London. Heather, P. 1994, Goths and Romans, 332-489, to 489, Oxford. Lomax, D. 1978, The Reconquest of Spain, New York. Myers, J. N. L. 1960. Pelagius and the End of Roman Rule in Britain. In The Journal of Roman Studies, Volume 50, Parts 1 and 2, pages 21 to 36. Salway, P. 1981. Roman Britain, Oxford. Wallace, Hardrill, A. and Hamilton, W. 
1986. Ammianus Marcellinus, the later Roman Empire. AD 354-378, London. Williams S. and Frail G. 1994. Theodosius, the Empire at Bay. Manchester. And lastly, Wolfram H. 1990. History of the Goths. London. I sincerely hope you've enjoyed today's episode. As I say, it's something that I've previously written and had in use as I'd written it for university, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to use it while I'm otherwise focused on exam revision. I don't have enough time to write an episode at the moment, as my days are full of researching the Crusades, the Norman conquest of England, and how to properly conjugate the Latin verb posco. So, if you've enjoyed this Fantastic. I might do it again next year when I am haunted again by summer exams, and I'll have my dissertation written out, which is most likely going to be about comparing the um, grand strategy of the Roman Empire in the Severan and Constantinian dynasties, and investigating whether the crisis of the 3rd century really affected um, Roman foreign policy. So if you liked it, good, you can... Hear that in a year, and if you didn't like it, eh, oh well. You wouldn't be listening to this anyway, because why would you have listened to this for 50 minutes? And you, it's a year until I'll do it again. But either way, I would love to hear what you think. I'll probably release a mini-sode in a couple of weeks, possibly Thursday the 6th of June, basically giving a recap of what's going on with Hannibal and kind of getting us back into the swing of it. So I shall uh, see you guys then. TTFN, ta-ta for now.